Real Community Radio for Bournemouth, Poole and Christchurch. 90.1 Hope FM and HopeFM.com Well, that's a lovely track there. Just simply called Holding You by Yet Mike Hammett. And of course, uh, it's very important to be held and to have support when you go through challenging times. And I guess that that is the primary work of the Lewis Manning Hospice. They are caring and of course you will, many of you will have benefited from the work of the hospice. Today I'm delighted to welcome to the programme uh, Claire Galley, who's the Chief Executive of the organisation. Good morning to you, Claire. Good morning. It's lovely to be here. Thank well, you. Well, it's been lovely to have your company actually because uh, you know, obviously you came in early and you've seen us working away and uh, chatting in the background. But for those who have no idea about how Lewis Manning started, how did it start? Well, it was a very philanthropic and generous lady called Marjorie Lewis Manning who lived locally um, and she decided that she would like to um, open a day hospice and generously gave over the bottom floor of her house to make that happen. Um, sadly, um, she died before the hospice could fully open, but actually one of our current trustees and her solicitor then went on to set up the charity, open the day hospice on Evening Hill in Poole, and um, make it happen in her memory. So the charity has been providing day hospice services um, for, I think it's about 27 years. Now, when you think of, of Lewis Manning, obviously you think of end of life and so on. But of course, you provide services beyond that as well, don't you? Yes, absolutely. So today we provide day hospice services. We provide about over 5,000 sessions a year. Um, day hospice services. We provide better breathing clinics. And that's really important for people, for instance, with COPD or the lung cancers to help them with, you know, it's, you, you become very anxious when you can't breathe. Um, it's just a horrible, you know, we're sat with you who's got a cold. It's really quite frightening when you when you feel like that so we do a an awful lot um, of work with bre- uh, with breathing patients and also we provide um, clinics for people with lymphedema um, and that's a, a swelling of the limbs that can happen after cancer treatment and other treatments um, so helping a really wide variety of age groups both male and female in the local community now of course all all of this takes considerable amount of resource uh, and so on i mean how, how do you manage to to, to get the needs, if you like, the, the, the financial resources particularly, and the people resources as well, um, to keep those wheels turning. Well, um, we have some good support from our local commissioners. So around 20% of the money that we need to keep going is provided um, by Dorset CCG um, on a contract that we have with them to provide those services. But that still leaves over a million pounds each year that needs to be raised. That's a, that's a large amount, isn't it? It is a huge amount of money. We have some very loyal supporters. Um, we are planning next year um, a whole fundraising campaign to ask people to test and give £5 a month to help support us, to put on some events um, and to look at how we can get companies involved within our charity as well. Um, and we have some amazing volunteers. I mean... Haven't we all? Oh, Haven't we all? Just, you know, the stories are fantastic and it's great to be working with them and meeting them every day. Now, obviously, your work is all about individual people. It's about the people themselves who are suffering in whatever way or perhaps they're at the 
at the end of life. And then, of course, it's their, it's their loved ones. W- would you say that, that the work that you do with the loved ones, with the, the support team, if, if you like, is, is as important as the work that you're doing with the patients themselves? Well, I mean, across the UK at the moment, the hospice movement and the way forward is about people being able to have a good death. And part of that good death is about death planning. And it's really interesting. I was talking um, at an event recently where I said to some people, OK, tell me, how many of you have ever organised a business meeting or a birthday party or, you know, any sort of event? And so many people, of course, had. But then I said to them, how many people have actually organised and planned your death? And so many people hadn't but actually when you think about it after life it's the one certainty that's going to happen and it's so emotionally important to plan not just for the person who's at the end of their life but of course for those that they will be leaving behind so it is very important in in answer to your question and we're able to help with that both in terms of the family children young people um, and the patient going forward so um in terms of, of that planning, what advice would you give to folk who are listening right now as to how they should go about doing that planning? What are the sorts of things that they should think about? Well, I think it's just important to get out of the way. First of all, we always say, um, you know, talk to your family, talk to your friends. If there's any unresolved issues, make those right. And then you can get on with, the, with, 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 with living. Because actually, it's, so many people talk about the process of dying. But within that, you do have to live. And you can get on with living and achieving the things that you want to. Um, and they may be, just be very little things. We had a lady just the other day who wanted to leave her daughter something. And so she painted a bird box. And that bird box in our art group um, that we have every Tuesday um, will be with her daughter into the future. And it's something, it's sort of a keepsake that she and her grandchildren will always have in memory of her mother. Those sorts of things are really important. And it's important to think about the life that you've got while you're in that end-of-life process, not necessarily focusing on that end point. Because I remember somebody saying when they were talking about about cancer, you know, they said, because people talk about dying with cancer, don't they? And she said, no, 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 I'm I'm not. living. Yes. Mm. And I I really like that I'm living with cancer. And you can live a quality of life even right up to the to the point where you pass over, can't you? Yes, and absolutely. I mean, that's what Lewis Manning Hospice is about, is about helping people to um, embrace what's, what they're going through, to make life easier for them while they're going through it, to help clinically with our nurses, but also to help emotionally. And to, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've had um, pat dogs into the hospice, because somebody wants to stroke a dog. We've had hedgehogs. We've had all manner of things. Our infection control has to be absolutely exemplary, I have to say. (laughs) But, you know, it's about having those experiences. And actually, if I was in that situation and there was something I wanted, like a special meal or um, an experience, then I would be looking to Lewis Manning Hospice to help me have that. Now, you said right at the beginning of, of the, the interview about your volunteers, precious folk. Um, what, what type of people volunteer for Lewis Manning and what, what do they do? Well, we have a, a lot of different roles, obviously. Um, well, from the, from the start in the morning, we have volunteer drivers who, for those patients who don't have to travel to the hospice um, for their daycare in an ambulance, 
pick up patients and bring them into the hospice and then at the end of the day take them home and that's rather a lovely role they tell me because um, they get to build a relationship with the people and they're doing something genuinely needed. Um, then when people come into the hospice for their care um, we have a range of volunteers who help in a number of ways from doing a little bit of massage to um, helping them serve their food, helping them with perhaps the artwork that they're doing, a bit of painting, um, sometimes some silk screen scarf making. Um, we also have our fundraising volunteers who help us by um, collecting, doing, putting, placing collecting tins in the community or helping at an event. Um, we have volunteers on our reception to welcome people when they come in. So it's a huge range of, of, of roles. And, and are, do you have any trouble in getting volunteers? I, mean, I suppose it's one of those areas where you have the, I suppose, because the work that the work that you do is very clear and very very evident and there must be so many people who have benefited from that work does that make it a little bit easier for you to to recruit folk I think it's difficult to recruit volunteers in this, this day and age. I think there's people have so many calls on their time. Um, what I would say is that we're always interested in hearing from people who want to do something specific to help the hospice in the hospice or in the community or in one of our four charity shops. Um, and I think volunteering these days needs to offer more, especially to young people, in terms of helping them perhaps with things that will add to their CV. Um, I mean, just recently we're, we're, we're reviewing the photographs um, on our website at the moment and we were lucky enough to have a third-year student from Bournemouth University who came in as a volunteer to take those photographs for us, which we're now going to use on our website and on our social media. And she's done that voluntarily, but she gets something back for her last-year project. So it's about working hand-in-hand with people of all ages. Today's Hope FM Breakfast Show is brought to you by Move On, the award-winning lettings agent for Paul and Bournemouth. Visit moveonrentals.com. Yes, and the time is 28 minutes after 8 o'clock. And my very special guest in the programme today is uh, Claire Gallic. Claire is the chief executive of the Lewis Manning Hospice. Uh, well, big changes in, in the air, Claire. So for a long time, of course, uh, you've been based over in Poole at Critchell Mount. But I suppose the challenge with Critchell Mount, a beautiful place though it is, it's a wee bit hard to access, isn't it? Yes, it is. And we really need to think about that in today's day and age with the changes that hospices across the UK are making um, and thinking about where the gaps are in service in this area at the end of life and also thinking about where people want to be at the end of their life or if they have life-limiting illness um, and where they want that treatment to happen. And certainly when I joined the hospice at the end of February, it was about looking to see, pulling the strategy for the next and the vision for the next three years together. Um, and I spent an awful lot of time working with the palliative care consultants in both Paul and Bournemouth um, in a working group which included um, the hospital trust, the um, CCG and you know, healthcare providers and, and service providers trying to look at where those gaps were. And we started to form a, a strategy and a plan around about what we're calling closer to home. And I think the easiest way that I can describe um, why we've decided to go down 
down this route um, was a really simple story about three months ago. Um, I was at the hospice on a Wednesday evening. Um, I was locking up. It was about half past seven, um, just leaving. And I saw our head nurse there um, and said to her, well, why on earth are you still here at half past seven at night? I mean, our nurses work long hours anyway. Mm. And she said, oh, I'm afraid we've still got a patient here at half past seven at night, a day hospice patient. And I, I went to find out more about that, and it turned out it was a 94-year-old lady, um, and she lived within 45 minutes of the hospice, but in bad traffic, that would be about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd come every once a week for her 12 to 16-week um, period of day hospice treatment that we give. Um, she'd got up at half past seven, seven o'clock, half seven in the morning to get ready. She had to travel to us by ambulance because of her condition, as so many of our patients do. She'd come to us for 10 o'clock. During the time she'd been with us, she had her clinical interventions with the nurses in the morning. She had a home-cooked meal, and for somebody who often um, our patients will be eating out of a packet, that meal is very important, um, uh, the one meal in a week that they might have, which is home-cooked. In the afternoon, we'd done some work with her on bereavement and death planning. And then uh, later that afternoon, she'd be making a keepsake for her daughter um, in our art group. So it got to half past three when she was due to come home and the ambulance wasn't available. It had been called away to do something else. And that led to half past four, half past five, and when I found her at half past seven, being well looked after by one of our nurses, but it was too late. She needed to be... And for a woman in her 90s, that's a long time, isn't it? And then I heard that the next week I went to see how she was and she was actually back in hospital. Now, I'm not saying that a late, one late night put her back into hospital, but what I, what I did think to myself was actually the strategic plan that we have going forward, moving our hospice in total into Pool, into Longfleet Road. We've bought, with the money that the public raised to help us with our hospice initially, we've bought a new hospice. It's central, it's on a bus route, it's right by Paul Hospital. It's right by a nursing home and opposite a big GP practice. And we'll run our services from that several days a week. But we've also done a deal with Dorset Healthcare, whereby we will be taking our palliative care end-of-life services into Swanage Hospital, Wareham Hospital and also into Wimborne. So we're bringing those services for local people closer to home. So in very real terms, it's A, more accessible for the patients because it's closer to them. Uh, and I, I guess also it's probably more cost effective uh, as well, which of course in these days it is very important consideration for charities, isn't it? A hundred percent. I mean, I've stood, you know, in the cold with a, with a collection tin outside one of the supermarkets with volunteers. And it's a hard job to raise a pound today because there's so much very valid competition. Um, and people have, you know, choose their charities and stay with them, understandably. So I believe that absolutely every pound that we spend um, needs to go on care and go to helping people locally. And so being more cost effective, being more efficient with the way that we provide our services and really watching the pennies um, is so important to our charity um, going forward. And of course the strategy of actually delivering health care closer to the patient is something actually which uh, the CCG in our area uh, and indeed the hospital trust have been very very keen on and indeed diversion from hospital because unfortunately the hospitals can't cope. 
I guess having you there is a real blessing for the hospitals as well because you're doing, to a very large degree, what, what they may love to do but actually haven't got the capacity to do. Well, I think that the important thing about hospices and charities is that we add value. We don't try and replace what the NHS is there to do, but that we add value to patients and to the service providers. So this strategy has been thoroughly, and, and I welcome the support, both from the CCG, um, from Dorset Healthcare, our Lord Lieutenant, um, Agnes Campbell, has been very supportive. Our High Sheriff, Philip War has been phenomenally helpful. And of course, Care South, um, the charity that, who run care homes, who are taking on and have bought our existing building at Evening Hill, have been an amazing partner for us to work with. We're staying at Evening Hill for the next six months while we refurbish our new home. Um, we are taking all of the equipment and the donations that we've had over the years with us to our new home. Um, and of course, we're, the, the donations that help provide that hospice have allowed us to buy this new, more central building. So a new day almost upon us. And when when will the grand opening be? When, when, <laughs> when are you scheduled? Uh, if everything goes according to plan, I know, I know these things are strategically planned. <laughs> you know. So if it all goes OK, when do you hope to end, go into your new home? I would hope that we would be in our new home sort of in early April and I would hope that we'd be able to have a number of sort of little launches where we invite people in to see what we're doing. Um, we're really hoping that we can also provide a drop-in service from this new more central home. Um, so we'll be inviting people in and we'd love you to come in and, and have a look. Well, we'll certainly be there. You made me think about all sorts of things that today, Claire. But where I want to leave it today is because I know that all of this is about people. and uh, You must have a million and one stories. You mentioned about the 19-year-old lady. But leave us with a, with a story about why the, the hospice being there and doing what it does makes a real difference to people. Just You don't have to name names, but just... Just tell a story of how the hospice has made a difference. Yes, of course. So um, there was a lady who um, we weren't able to help, actually, um, who was being treated um, and wanted to stay at home. She was in her last days um, of dying and um, she'd been attended by a district nurse who was... um, a locum to the area and um, this lady wanted to be at home to die and because it was a a district nurse who'd gone in to see her um, she was unwell um, she was worried about her and so she ambulanced her into the hospital the local hospital now um, this lady was actually unknown to 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 everybody else um, on her last day And the one thing that she'd asked for was to be treated closer to home and to be at home. And sadly, her husband couldn't travel in the ambulance with her. During the time that she was being taken in, she was hoisted. Um, She ended up on her last day of her life in hospital, being hoisted into a bed, having um, had to have some photographs taken of some sores that she had. And sadly, her husband didn't make it to be with her in time when she died. Now, that's a really sad story. It's not so unusual. And I think the difference that Lewis Manning Hospice can make in the coming years, giving care closer to home, and I hope that in year three of our plan to be delivering care in people's homes will allow people to have their wishes met at a time when actually they really should be allowed to make choices in the last few days of their life. 
Well, Claire, thank you so much for all that you and all your team at Lewis Manning do. It's greatly appreciated, and we wish you well as you go to that new and exciting uh, hospice uh, on Long- in Longfleet Road, right beside the hospital. Fabulous, thank you. <laughs> for more inspirational interviews, podcasts, and Hope FM best bits, visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.